Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Hello, hello. Welcome to this week's episode of uh, Grow or Die. Go. <laughs> I'm already stumbling. Holy cow. Uh, uh, my name is Alora Chestikoff and I am from Firebird Summit. Yay, everybody. How's it going? I'm Lawrence Henderson with Boss. Awesome. Okay. Well, so it is coming in the end of June. Can you believe we're almost to the 4th of July? Where did it go? Uh, seriously, I'm like blown away. I don't even know. Like I was still thinking it was like May. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I was, I was looking at the calendar that set something up and I'm like, oh, how, where did that come from? Exactly. Why? So, all righty. Well, so you have a topic for us today? I sure do. And uh, it's something I've been definitely deep diving on over the past several months, but it's this uh, topic of identity. Right? How do we, how are we seeing ourselves in this season as some new topics are coming up and, and some new things are being approached by families around the dinner table, around people in the office, right? It's just not politics anymore. It's culture, it's justice, social justice, injustice. What does it look like? And, and I believe if you don't know who you are, there can be some conflicts happening and realities are beginning to shift and walls of unconsciousness are being broken down and um, people may be a little confused. And so this concept and idea of identity. Well, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, I would actually also say that the inverse is potentially true, right? I think that, um, you know, sometimes we cling to identities I don't think it's just a matter of knowing your knowing your identity. It's it's going back and reevaluating is the identity that I'm clinging to about myself actually either a still accurate or b really what I want to be. In which case, I have to go back in and do that work as well. Um, so I think identity is is um, it's super multifaceted. Uh, I think it's. I agree though. I think right now we've got this super high voltage political and social context that pours gasoline on. I mean, to be fair, I think some of that identity question has been why, frankly, since before the 2016 election, we had people getting into fights with, you know, family members at Thanksgiving dinner about politics, right? Because people get, and I think in some ways, the identity question, you know, it's, we use the phrase identity politics, which I don't think is wrong, but I also don't always think it's helpful um, because we get so we get so sort of bought into and attached to the idea of an identity um, that that identity can have definitions it, that we might not always be aware of, but that drive a lot of behavior, right? And and sometimes that doesn't help us listen to other people and it doesn't help us have reasonable discourse, right? We get attached to, no, I'm a progressive and no, I'm a conservative and like we're, or I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm an atheist or whatever, like you can pick whatever it is. I think one of the biggest challenges we have is kind of redefining 
what a healthy definition of identity means, um, because I think we've we've let the concept become very simplistic, and I don't think that serves good dialogue. And that's just at the political level, right? If we even ratchet it back to more of a personal level, um, you know, I think this is something. And actually, one of our colleagues from uh, from our coaching class, uh, or well, she's lives in, Lisa lives in Austin, uh, Holly, who does a lot of work with women um, who are really struggling around the decision whether or not to have kids, right? It's like a big thing. And this is a huge identity issue for a lot of women because either we have a definition that we have um, absorbed that came from someone else and, you know, you are not a real woman if you don't or you are not a real woman if you do that kind of thing. And that kind of, that can be super, super um, toxic when it comes to trying to really find your own way and find, you know, come to, come to a decision that reflects the life that you want. Um, uh, pretty much every every gay person I know who had a really kind of difficult coming out story um, had that problem too, right? They were living in an identity that was was sort of placed on them by their family or their church or their their community. Um, and then when they had to come out, that's, that's where we use that phrase, right? Is coming out. They had to, they had to actually push their way through what that set of handcuffs was to be able to, to step into an identity that meant something to them. And so I think there's a lot, like it's such a multifaceted kind of way of looking at it. Um, I think that, I think that we, it, in some ways, it, it has to come back to making a distinction between what we feel and what we think. Um, you know, we, I've, I've talked about this before because I think we get super attached to ideas and then we kind of turn them into our own personal religion and then they become off limits and we're unwilling to have like rational discourse about them. Um, and I think that becomes, if, if you turn something into a sacred cow like that, you're never, you're never going to help a conversation, right? Because yeah. as soon as, as soon as two people just take an entrenched position there's, there's no chance to find common ground. It, 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 that eliminates curiosity. It eliminates non-judgment, mm -hmm. you know, and I think we, we use identity politics in a lot of unfortunate ways that have, have just kind of exacerbated that problem. Yep. Um, and it's not, it's not an easy problem to solve. So we come mm -hmm. back to like, okay, so how do I define my own identity? And, and, and in some ways I feel like, you have to come back and say, okay, so let's start with like, maybe we start with what my values are. Maybe we start mm -hmm. with how I expect to show up. Maybe we start with, you know, the role I want to play in the lives of the people around me instead of starting with an identity and then backing into the rest of those things, which I feel like is kind of what we've sort of evolved to, right? We sort of slap yeah. a label on ourselves and then we kind of say, well, because I'm this, I only do those things. Or because, you know, because I'm a conservative, I have to vote for Trump. Or because I'm a Christian evangelical, I have to support Trump. Like, like I, I think we, we've got, we've kind of inverted what the process should be, right? Instead of yeah. coming up and saying, all right, I believe in dignity and justice and, you know, and um, collective action. So this is why I am, I am a progressive. Instead, we'll say, okay, well, I'm a progressive. So I, I can't, I can't agree with any of those things, which is problematic and, and often inaccurate and overly simplistic. And I think yeah. that it's very hard thing to sort of navigate your way through um, because we've just reduced it to a very distilled kind of set of concepts. Um, and 
we have attached a lot of definitions to a lot of, you know, identities, yeah. you know, as a, as a, you know, you can call me a workaholic or career centric or, you know, child, like any, all of those are labels yeah. that come with like these identity markers that, that either at one point or either I took on or I let somebody else kind of voice on me and have, you know, and then you have to kind of peel those back out. And your identity is as way more than a Christian black male who lives in the South, right? Like that's, exactly. that's, that's such a tiny fraction of yeah. who Lawrence is. Like it's so like, it's, and it's, it doesn't necessarily reflect a meaningful view into you, but it's, it's, that's the easiest way to reduce things. And I think that's, that's where we have to come back to is getting out of the idea that we can simplify everything down to that level. Yeah. And I, and I think you, you make a really, really good point because the things that you said are all Googleable about me. And in our instant gratification world, I believe socially I can know you from what you post. And that's all I, that's all I need to read about you. That's all I need to know about you. And I'll deal with you in that manner. And like you said, the, the lack of safety that is in making a choice like that is because you could really miss the opportunity to have really thoughtful conversations with somebody if you only base it off of what you see optically on social media. Understanding that we can edit every single post. We can do, like, there's all this behind the scenes stuff that we could do before we ever post anything, right? Filters, all the rest of that stuff, right? And, and I'm so glad I'm a married guy um, because filters would, would have me going crazy um, on pictures. That's side, sidebar, I had nothing to do with anything. But <laughs> As we talk about identity, you hit the nail on the head for me. And the place that I had to go was what do I stand for, right? Just from a very, if we say anything is simple, what are the things that are me character non-negotiables, right? What does respect look like, right? What does integrity look like? What does service look like? What does excellence look like in the confines and the constructs of the way I want to see them lived out, right? Very actionable characteristics and values for myself and I believe if you don't do the homework of what are those things right what are those words right but without the profession without the identity of what your skin looks like without the sexual orientation without all of that what are you standing on from the inside out and that's where leadership starts oh and can I self-manage can I begin the the process of self-mastery so that I can show up my whole self. And I believe we've, we've taken on, and I, and I say I'm the sixth child of seven. I'm a preacher's kid, born of an educator, two preachers, two, like, I'm talking about straight up doilies on the head, Pentecostal family. And for the longest time, it was the I can'ts. And I believe the I can'ts and I can't do's were a part of my identity. And it was because of that, it was like, well, I'm not going to get invited here. Or I'm not going to get invited there. But the mental, the mental damage and trauma that that caused to me is that I connected that to not being socially accepted. And I didn't do that work till I got older. And to think about my parents or somebody not being available for me to help me work through that identity of, man, I'm trying to fit in and what in why I shouldn't fit in was never discussed with me because my parents had lived experiences and different things like that. And because of culture and the way that my family and my parents were brought up, 
I always say we need to lead with curiosity instead of judgment and different things like that. Because even in this situation where we talk about, we talk about inequality, we talk about race, we talk about gender, to hold the space for somebody who is living this to seek to understand is such a powerful thing when we talk about identity is because I can't be in your shoes. That whole walk a mile in somebody's shoes thing, that was so flawed in in and of itself as a theory or a concept because you then, I rationalized your reality so that it was comfortable for me to process it. And, but with the danger in that, and I've, I've done it, I am guilty of telling soldiers who are deployed for the first time to Kuwait, this is not a real deployment. Before that person, they're spending a year away from their families just because I have a combat scenario. Now they're deployed still the Middle East. They still had to go through training. They still could potentially be called forward. An incident can happen with the snap of a fingers in that region of the world that they can go from Kuwait to Afghanistan in a blink of an eye. And for me to process their experience that way as not relevant was so damaging as a leader that I had to backtrack and I had to apologize because they began to quit on me because I wasn't there and I didn't hold an emotional space for them, for them to process being again, I had a mom. She this is the first time she was away from her kids as a reservist ever. And so she has three little ones. And so she's like ready to cry every single night. Like I'm away from my babies and that was traumatic. And so I think identity, it's one of those places that is foundational for me to start. So I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that, again, when we start looking at, at and unpacking kind of where, where identities sort of start off and where they kind of come from. Cause I think, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of like what you said is, is we, I think we get like a lot of different components piled on us, right? Parents do it, family does it, school does it, church does it, community does it, sports do it, you know, like all of these things. And they, you know, what school we went to, oh my God, all the moders are like, like, enormous, like, dude, like those are massive influences for your identity, right? Like how many people have you met who I, you know, you were in the army, same thing, right? How many people do you know who have identified who they are by their alma mater, right? They, they, they'll pull out like a mascot and you're like, you're, you're like, you're a gator. <laughs> you don't look like a gator to me, but like, you know, that becomes such a huge part of it. And I think the thing that's, um, and to some extent, I feel like this is kind of like the work of middle age, right? Because at some point, I feel like what happens is so many of those things just start to feel heavy, right? It just starts to feel like a burden. And you get to a point where you, you I think um, you stop being willing to carry everyone else's shit. Like you just get to a point where you're like, God, this is my life. And I look around and I think I'm half, halfway through it. And I'm still dealing with, you know, my grandmother's expectations that I have kids and I'm still dealing with, you know, whether or not this is the career that I really want to be having or, you know, like, and there are all of these things. And I think in some ways, and then to be fair, I think some of that work doesn't even make as much sense until you kind of hit that middle age place because you have to sort of sample some of those things before you know I don't know, this one might fit, this one might not, but you have to kind of taste test your way through some of that stuff. But then you have to hit a point where you're like, okay, now I'm ready to clean out my closets. 
what stuff goes. Like there's crap in here that, you know, somebody gave me when I was 15. There's other stuff here that I've been schlepping around with me, you know, for the last 30 years. Like it's time for me to look at all of these like sort of micro identities that I've fused into my general identity and say, okay, you know what? That's not mine. I didn't mean to pick that up. Somebody put that on my lap and I've been carrying it. Time to put that one down. And then start saying, you know what? I don't, I, I am not, you know, I'm not my job. So this is another, this is a huge one, right? I mean, Americans are notorious. And, and you see this when you travel, other parts of the country, other parts of the world, when you travel, their first question isn't, what do you do? That's such an American thing. And I don't think Americans always fully understand, you know, if you're traveling, it'll be, oh, where are you going? Where have you been? How long are you staying? Where are you going to go next? Like, or, or, you know, sort of, you know, do you have kids? But like, they will ask anything else. Europeans, Latin Americans, Asians do not open a conversation with, so what do you do for a living? It's like, well, hey, guess what? Americans identifying as your job, probably not the most healthy choice. Um, and especially, I think this is one of those things that especially becomes problematic for us now, right? Now that, you know, Generation X and below, we change careers. We don't stay in the same career. We're not exactly. like you know, grandparents who did the 40 years in the gold watch kind of, you know, scenario where that was the holy grail. And in that model, there's almost a certain logic to taking on that identity because you're committed and you're all in and you're going to be with the same company until you retire. And there's, there's a reciprocal value that you get from the company by taking on their identity. And I think one of the things that we really struggle with now is that we don't live in a world where companies have that kind of loyalty to their employees anymore. Yeah. And to be fair, most of us don't actually want to be obligated to have that degree of loyalty back anyway. So it's kind of, you know, I'm sure there's some that do. <laughs> it sounds like a prison sentence to me, but I'm sure some would like it. But at the end of the day, that's just not the reality we live in, right? We live in a world where particularly like white collar professionals change jobs every 18 to 36 months. And in that world, your job will change, your career will morph, even if you're, even if every new job is just a little bit of like a degree or two off from the last one, by the time you're done, you're in a completely different place. So if you are only identifying yourself and presenting your own identity as the job you are doing, what happens when your job has to change? This is another reason why when we have layoffs, people have emotional meltdowns because yeah, they, they are do. so wrapped up. Their identity is so wrapped up in what they do for a living to make a paycheck. And if you take that away from them, it completely collapses their entire view of who they are yeah. in the world. And there are so many things about that that I think, um, you know, for me, really that, that unpeeling process that we have to get to at some point when you start realizing that I am done carrying water for other people. I am done absorbing the definitions of, of what my identity should be that have been given to me by people I never would have accepted it from if I had recognized I was doing it at the moment. So now who the hell do I want to be? And this is where I think values work is second to none. I think you have to come back to what really matters to me. Oh, you're on mute. It comes a time where you, I believe, and, and I say I say this uh, to people all the time, releasing yourself to be yourself. And like, it's almost the coming out, right? It's the, when I got finished with the military, I was like, I'm done. I'm going to take this uniform off. I can give them the goodwill. I can give them whatever. I'm, I'm going to be Lawrence. I'm Lawrence. I'm no longer Major Henderson. 
But it was a couple of days as a part of some entities that I was like, do you know who I am? And people were like, no, you, you just and we started. Don't care. <laughs> yeah, like we don't care either. Like you, you are a HRIT professional. Like we need this done. And I'm thinking to myself, they can't even hold my boots. They don't want to. So get over yourself, dude. And it, and literally it was in those moments of about this spiral out of control where it was like, so who are you? And I, and I think just sitting with that question and, and like you said, most people don't know that they've made those associations to their jobs until something traumatic happens. And, and nowadays it's funny how the labels of you're just a, or this is just a, and you, but you don't know the associations that you've made. And like you said, I went through several reductions in force in just the two companies that I worked with since I've been out in almost six years. Like, and to watch the people who had been with those organizations for double digit years process the reality of being a mortal. Like they were a mortal being that was in their eyes for the first time they saw as a part of the wheel. And before they were like, loyal, 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 loyal. And now it was, hey, this is a business deal. It was like, but what about all the loyalty you made me sign up for? And it's just like, no, you should have been processing. Like, where's your identity? Your identity is not your position description. Your identity is who you are outside of this place. And I used to say it, and my wife used to always make jokes about, um, she was like, I don't need Major Henderson. I need Lawrence, my husband. So you took the uniform off, but you stayed Major Henderson. Like, no, I, I need I need my husband who I married. And and I think for a lot of cases, like people like need to say their names out loud. Like who like Lauren Alora. Like I need a Laura. Like I need a Laura to show up. Not the COO of a Fortune 500. Like I don't need that person right now. I need the person of you to show up and be present with me. And I think a lot of times because we we've been conditioned, practice makes permanent not perfect we practice that elevator pitch so much that it it just comes out without even by anybody asking so i hey lord did you just say what do i do oh shoot uh i am a leadership and organizational change professional uh i help organizations bridge the gap between where they are and where they desire to be oh i know it's so horrible. <laughs> And you know, though, it's funny, that's a really, really fantastic point too, right? Because we build that habit. We build that reflex. You know, one of the hardest things that, um, you know, back to the whole, like, what do you do thing? Like, I've, I work really hard not to ask that question anymore. Like, it's so hard. And I, it's one of my, it's one of my personal, like, goals for myself. When I meet someone new, ask something else about their family ask about what do you love what do you like and and like for me what do you love is like a great question because it totally rattles people um and it usually gets a, an in, it starts an interesting conversation but the truth is i'm still my habit is still what do you do and it's so um it's so hard to snap out of that because we've just completely like we know how to answer that question right like to your point you know when somebody says what do you love like i'm standing there going uh um, uh, Mexican food, <laughs> uh, dogs and elephants. <laughs> I don't like, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's like a legitimately hard question. So I think that's the other part too, about your point about being present is that, you know, there's a certain degree to which asking, what do you do? And answering that question, is just easy and lazy. 
So you don't really have to be like, how many times have you been asked that question and you answer that question and you don't even hear what's coming out of your mouth because you're moved, you've moved on everything else. Like, all right, well, I'm not interested in talking to this person anyway. I'm going to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is that that's not the way to cultivate presence yeah. at all. Whereas if you like throw them for a monkey wrench and say, hey, what do you love? All of a sudden they snap too because they realize you just surprised them with a question they weren't prepared to answer. And you have to listen because like it's, it turns it into a real like moment of presence mm. and it helps, I think in some ways kind of jump past the, the cardboard identity. And I think that's kind of what I feel like a lot of it has become, right? It's like the cardboard cutouts and we just kind of hide behind them. Yeah. This is our identity. And you know, I'm a, middle-aged child free white woman who likes you know kids more than or dogs more than people and i'm a workaholic and i am a travel junkie and that's you know and i'm a foodie so like there we go there's there's my cardboard cutout and none of that you know none of that really gets to anything else but that's easy and as long as i can just answer questions that you know that cardboard cutout represents then i don't have to actually work too hard yeah and i and so the one that I love um, that somebody actually did to me that I've been using ever since they did it is if you could have anything to be successful, what's the one thing you need today? And I'm like, man. So, okay. So then I'm going to ask you that yeah. question. You have one yeah. thing to be successful. What do you need today? I need more people to advocate for me in what I love to do. Okay. Well, that's nice and clear. I mean, it's, yeah. it's definitely, it's definitely not ambiguous. Yeah. All right. And, and, and that's what it did to me. I paused, like I literally, I was like, geez, I, can I get a minute? <laughs> it was like right at the end of the call too. And I was like, uh, I was ready. I, I was ready to say bye. Like, <laughs> yeah it was like man that's a good one but it, it was like you know what i'm not gonna be afraid anymore to ask for support like as a business owner it's like the identity of hustling and yeah i know right it's such a icky thing like you're a business owner get guess what business owners need they need patrons yeah the hustle porn that, that we have Oh God, the grind. Yeah, that's, that's one of my biggest beefs about the social media entrepreneurship cult. It just makes me want to hurl. Like it's yeah. not, ugh, ugh, I hate it. Yeah. I was like, whatever, why, like when did working hard get out, like get overdone? Like, why is that, <laughs> why is that not cool anymore to say work hard? Well, it's like the idea that, you know, sleep deprivation is a status symbol. No, oh, God. No, it's not. There's nothing sexy about that. That's not smart. It's not healthy. Healthy. It's not at all. Stop. Stop trumpeting. How little sleep you get. Like, I, not. That's not something. Mm-hmm. It's not sexy. No. But not a good look. It's not a good look at all. But yeah. but yeah, that one. What do you need? What do you need? Is is the one that I love. What do you need? And again, okay, so that, that definitely works in a more of like a professional yeah. kind of context. Yeah. Well, what would you what would you ask? In, in a totally purely social kind of yeah. like a, a community or a church event, like what, mm-hmm. what, what would the good one for you be in that setting? Yeah. Queen, king or queen for a day. What's the thing you would change? Oh, that's an awesome one. Yeah, that's an awesome one. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Good, good. So, so the question is, how often, how often do you make sure that you're asking questions that get past the cardboard identity with people? Now, every single interaction. Because I want to be known as that guy. Like, I want to be known as that guy. And my, and my wife, she, she tells jokes all the time. She was like, I know, you know, you've heard this before. Somehow, some way, I know we're going to get on values. I know we're going to get on values. I know you're going to talk about character. I know, like, she's like, son, a dog walking up the street. Somehow, some way, you're going to get in a conversation about values. What do you believe? And why do you believe them? She was like, you, you just, you're that person that everybody needs to stay on their toes when they're around you. Like they need to know who they are. So what did uh, that happen for you? Because I was unclear. Mm-hmm. And when the light bulb finally came on, I was like, other people need to know what this feels like. Yeah. And that's a part, it's a part of my, I believe my purpose in life is to help people self-identify at all times and keep the main thing of them, the main thing. And I believe it also came at a point when I was compromising and I was, I was shelving me for the sake of doing things and being loyal to things instead of being loyal to me in my peace. That's actually a really interesting one. That question of loyalty, right? Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that, um, I think it's so, I think it's such a romantic idea. And I think we get really, really attached to this fantasy of what we think it is. And we all have different definitions of our head of what that actually looks like. But I think we get very attached to this sort of romantic notion of loyalty and don't do a good enough job of defining what do I actually mean by that? Um, and it's a very, um, I, it's funny, I remember actually when I, when I kind of started making that distinction, um, I was watching the movie Frida with the, um, Salma Hayek. And um, after, after Diego Rivera cheats on her after they get married and she gets upset um, and then she shake, kind of shakes it off, you know, she kind of tells him, she tells him, I don't expect you to be faithful, but I expect you to be loyal. And she makes a distinction there. And it was a really interesting intellectual exercise that that sent me on because the idea that, you know, the two are not identical. Now, for a lot of people, you you would have the same expectations of both. But the, the idea that you have to define that, what you mean by that, um, and who you ask it of. So when I work with clients a lot who are, especially ones who have kind of placed what I see a lot is people who have placed a lot of loyalty into a company and then hit a point where they realized that was probably a bad idea. Now they need to go, but A, their identity is wrapped up in it, B, their salary, their life, every, they've wrapped up so much of themselves in being in this role at this company that now the idea of leaving is much more traumatic than just going off and getting another job. Um, and one of the things that comes up a lot is they feel like they're being disloyal by leaving. And I spend a lot of time working with a lot of clients on, you know, where, where is loyalty appropriate, right? And so I'm a firm believer that loyalty is appropriate to an individual. Like it is, it is appropriate for me to have a relationship with someone that involves loyalty. 
it is absolutely inappropriate from my perspective to have loyalty to a company. A company is not a person. A company, I don't care what the Supreme Court says, a company is not a person. And so the idea that you're supposed to have loyalty to this legal entity that's basically just a piece of paper and some bank accounts is, I think, super damaging because we have a reciprocal understanding of loyalty. Nobody ever goes in and says, okay, it's okay for me to be loyal to you, but you not to have any loyalty back to me, right? Loyalty, we view loyalty as a two-way street. So the idea that we have a sense of loyalty to a company doesn't make sense because that company can't be loyal back to us. And, and because we have this legacy of, you know, the 50s and the 60s and this whole like, you know, middle-class life that Americans were leading where they did have these long-term job relationships, like it's this baggage. It's very hard for people to shake out. And it's like, you know yeah. what, you're in a job and no matter how much you love or hate that job, you're going to meet people. Some of those people are going to be people that are worth you holding on to for the rest of your life. Every job isn't going to have the same number of them. Some of them are going to, you know, only stick around for a few years, but it's about those individuals and those relationships. And some of them are genuinely worth being loyal to, and they will be loyal back. But loyalty should be more selective and not indiscriminate. Not everyone deserves your loyalty. Yeah. And you don't have enough to go around to everyone. Because one of the challenges with loyalty is what happens when there are conflicting needs and you have to prioritize, you have to have a way to say, you need this and I need this, or, or you need this and you over here need this. And I have to pick and I have, I have to look at this and say, what is the greater good and where do my loyalties fall in coming up with some kind of, of determination for how this plays out. And I think that the idea that, loyalty should be applied to anything that doesn't love you back is super, super harmful. And I think it contributes to this identity problem that arises around a job because yeah. we see ourselves as being loyalty as a loyal, as a part of that role. And it's such a, it's such an unhealthy thing. And again, back to your point, right? You get laid off all of a sudden you've just devastated them. You've taken their knees out from under them. Mm -hmm. And, and something that really should just be a business transaction. I mean, yes, it's yeah. scary from a financial perspective. It's scary. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of reasons that it can, it's still difficult. Yeah. But the idea that it has somehow undermined the value that you place on who you are and your place in the world, that is way too much power to yeah. give something that's never going to love you back. And, and I think it, it also, to that point, right, the, the romantics of it, in in theory, it sounds good, briefs well, but I guarantee if you ask anybody who's ever been in that scenario of a reduction in force or being terminated, ask them what what hurts them the most. They they're thinking about a person. They're thinking about a relationship that is being severed that they're thinking about, not the organization, because again, on Glassdoor and all these other things, when they collect why people quit. It's people. They quit because of people. They don't quit organizations. They quit people. And so that's the part that's hurtful for a lot of people because they were like, I gave this company. No, you gave this person, that leader that you came in 15 
additional hours a week for overtime because that person asked and you thought that love and appreciation would be reciprocated towards you and you made that emotional investment into a person and i believe that's what people lash out against from an identity standpoint and again something like being in the military and the thought of the military having a reduction in force when I could be voluntold to go anywhere in the world at the drop of a dime just because a conflict broke out. And, and to think that then at the drop of a the dime, they could say, all right, you're out. You got six months and there's nothing you could say back. Right. And, and so I think, again, it's, you think about people, you think about what you've done for something and that investment that you've made, it's emotional. And if, you, if you're not careful and if you don't have those check-ins with yourself, it could be damaging. It really can. And that's where coaching comes in. That's where, well, heck, therapy and, and counselors come in because, again, which is not coaching, you need you a certified professional um, to, to go there with. Because, and I think I missed an opportunity. I think I, I think I'm thankful me and my wife do, you know, preventative maintenance, um, checking in for our marriage and just relationships, because that helps. That definitely helps to seek that type of support, because there's just some things we just we don't know how to deal with. And so there are people who go to school for this stuff. They're trained. They're professionals. Um, and I say anybody that is not being weak. That is strength and courage in and of itself to say yes to that type of support. Well, and not only that, it comes back to what you say all the time, right? It's about holding space. When you're in the middle of something, especially, oh my God, especially if it's something that you feel is threatening or challenging your vision of your identity, it is so hard. First of all, it's hard to listen. It's hard to be curious. And it's really, really hard not to be defensive. Like it is so hard. And so having having somebody else help broker that and help create and hold safe space for everybody is so, so valuable. And the more, more emotionally volatile, you know, the topic or the issue at hand is the, the more helpful that kind of, you know, that broker almost becomes in that process just to make sure that, you know, you don't, it's so easy in that kind of situation to say something you regret and, you know, you just can't take shit back. Like, like there's, there's like real legitimate potential for damage. And over time you can over, you can, you can pass the point of no return and not even realize you've done it. And so it's really, really, um, I think enormously valuable to have help navigating that stuff when you're in it. Cause especially if you know that, look, this, there's no reason this should blow up our entire life. Like we, like th this is something that we need to deal with, but it, it shouldn't destroy everything. This is not a fundamental misalignment of the last 20 years of our life together. Like, you know, this is, this is something we need to work through. Um, then yeah, getting help is, is way better than trying to trudge through and for, you know, grin and bear it and just force your way through it. Cause that usually doesn't go very well. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So from an identity perspective, what we yes. is you probably hit a point in your life where it's time to kind of hit the reset button, figure out what you really want your identity to be. In which case, first step, really, we both agree is what, what the hell do I value? What are my values? Like really 100%. not, not the ones that, that I, you know, bought into from someone else, but what are mine? 
So yeah. what's the next piece? So after after you get to the after you yeah. kind of clear on your values, what's what's that next piece for you in in that identity? Yeah, developing your voice. Um, and again, it's almost like that elevator pitch. Hearing yourself practice and build up a muscle uh, and with people, with the people closest to you. And you really begin to find alignment and, and actually give yourself little small wins in those conversations of where you're showing up more and more like yourself. And I tell you, the freedom of that, golly, man it it's it's un, it's indescribable the freedom of developing that voice of what you value and you give people the opportunity to say yes or no and you free yourself from from caring which choice they make That's funny. So my my favorite question on that front is is you know how do you want to be remembered after you die um, like for me that's a you know what do you want people to say about you at your funeral and yeah. I start feeling like, cause I'm very clear on my values at this point. I, you know, but, but sometimes it's the direction. It's like, okay, great. So if your values are kind of the foundation, then mm. you need direction to go. Right. And where's, sure. where's your North star now that you know where you're starting from. Yep. And so look at the values as the foundation that you're launching mm -hmm. from. Then what's your target? And for me, that target is always, I always come back to, okay, how do I want to be remembered? Like what, what, is important to me that people say about me after I'm gone. Love it. And that Absolutely. part helps me get to the voice, helps me get to what am I doing? Mm. I'm spending my time on something stupid right now. Or like, like that, that's the part that helps me kind of remagnetize my compass yep. when I start feeling like I'm wandering astray. Legacy. Yeah, exactly. What do you, how do you want to be remembered? Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. All righty. Well, hey, great topic this week. Nice. Thank pick. you. Thank you. All right. It was good. In that case, we're going to wrap for the week, and I will talk to you next Wednesday, my friend. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Sounds good. See you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.